Amy and I are delighted to have Christy Engel with us today. It worked out really well with us being gone for the last nine days to not have to come home uh, on Friday night and uh, work on a sermon yesterday. So we're delighted to have Christy Engel with us today. She comes to us by way of that Baptist network that is so important to Dan and Amy and me. About three months ago, Tom and Diane Bays were visiting with us, first-time first guests at our congregation. I got to know Tom, and we had an extended conversation in Helt Hall following worship. Tom is a retired American Baptist pastor, and I enjoyed my conversation with him. Uh, we exchanged emails, and I followed up with Tom after worship. We stayed in touch. He introduced me to Christy Engel and said, any chance you all could have Christy to come and speak to your congregation. The work she's done uh, all around the world is really wonderful, in particular her work in Ukraine because that's such a current issue. And so we're delighted to have Christy today and following the anthem, she will come and preach for us. I asked Christy if she would share with me a, a biographical sketch. Um, I usually don't read a, a biographical sketch, but there's so much here. By way of introduction of Christy Engel, I thought I would read most of what she sent to me. You will be interested in this. Christy Engel was born in Joplin, Missouri. She spent her growing up years in the Midwest, graduating from high school in Keokuk, Iowa. And then she entered Judson University in the fall of 1988 to study pre-medicine and play basketball. In December of 1991, she went to work at the Good Samaritan Hospital in Limbe, Haiti. It was on that trip that she heard God's call to medical missions to medical missionary work. She returned to the U.S. for nursing school, graduated from the University of Missouri in 1997 with a bachelor's degree in nursing and a specialty in pediatrics. Returning to Haiti, she became the head of the pediatrics department and she worked for a total of three years in Limbe, Haiti. In April of 2000, she was commissioned by International Ministries of the American Baptist Churches and assigned to La Romana Dominican Republic. During the next 12 years, she helped to coordinate more than 600 mission teams and more than 50 individual volunteers in La Romana. In 2010, following the earthquake in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, Christy coordinated the emergency medical relief for international ministries, leading mobile medical teams every week for four months and then returned later that year to assist with the cholera efforts there. She also began several important ministries in La Romana, including the social services program, physical therapy department, employee wellness program, and the children's education initiative called Esperanza, which means hope. Christy completed a master's degree in nursing from the University of Missouri as a pediatric nurse practitioner in 2009. In December 2012, she began working as the regional health care missionary for Ibero-America and the Caribbean. She finished another master's certificate program for international nutrition through Tufts University and the United Nations University in August of 2013. And she currently works in health education, assessments, and emergency relief. On February the 1st, 2015, she was officially named the Global Consultant for Health for International Ministries of the American Baptist Churches. 
As the global consultant for health, she works with partners around the world to help them with health programs. She encourages colleagues and leaders in health. She teaches and learns about health disparity through interactions with communities in need. One of Christie's deep loves is in educating people about appropriate and sustainable outreach through missions. With that in mind, in, 2000, in, in November of 2019, Christie took two young health professionals from Australia with her for two months to look at both healthy and unhealthy ministry outreach all around the world. They visited Atlanta, Georgia, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, Egypt, Amsterdam, and Bangladesh. The original schedule included both India and Bolivia, but due to unrest in those countries, that schedule was revised. This hands-around-the-world trip will be an ongoing ministry for Christie through the short-term volunteer department at International Ministries. In December 2022, Christie had the opportunity to coordinate and lead a small medical team to western Ukraine through Hungarian Baptist Aid. Baptists are working around the world, folks. We can be proud of that. Hungarian Baptist Aid. Following that visit, she was invited to return for four months and to continue serving inter internationally displaced persons living in shelters in western Ukraine. She will take another team in December of this year and is in discussions to return for an extended time to help develop a standalone medical clinic, electronic patient records, and to help coordinate health care. Since taking her current position, Christy has visited approximately 30 countries. In at least 18 of these countries, she has ongoing projects through consultations or visits. Wow, that's a lot. Christy Engel, thank you for your work, for all of your work, and welcome to Park Road Baptist Church. And I apologize for the long bio. When I sent it off to uh, Russ and Amy, I said, well, this is everything. Uh, share what you'd like. So um, you got everything. And... Uh, um, I keep telling people I'm only 29 years old, so I, I don't know how I quite started at five to get everything done, but I apparently did. Uh, I want to say, first of all, thank you for such a warm welcome this morning. Um, just a number of people I've said hello to and welcome to worship, hearing that with every person who walks in the door. Um, it's, it's really been a blessing to me um, this morning. Um, so, yes, so you know all about me. There's no need for me to introduce. I did, one thing I forgot to ask Russ and Amy was how long they wanted me to preach. So I'm just going to go with the Dominican style of three hours, if, <laughs> more or less, right? So, um, yeah, so go to the Dominican, just know three hour sermons. So, uh, where I started. So let me tell you a little bit about Ukraine. Um, I had the opportunity, I, when, when I heard about the invasion of Ukraine back in uh, 2022 in March, um, my heart broke. I'm one of those people who watches the news. I can't watch the news very often because I have a physical ache in my heart for what I see happening around the world. And um, if I'm emotional this morning, and I'm getting there, um, it was that song, that processional, that was written for the people of Ukraine. If you didn't really read the words as you sang them, I encourage you to go back. And after I share today, to think of the names of the people that I will give you as if this was being sung for them and with them. They asked me actually, when I sent them, when, I, when Amy sent me a proof of what was gonna be uh, spoken today and sung today, 
Um, my heart was just bursting with joy over all of these words. These are the exact words. I couldn't have picked anything better for the service today. And I sent off this song to my friends in Ukraine and I said, have you heard of this? Did you know this was written for you? They'd never heard of it. They knew the tune, but they'd never kn known that the sermon or that the song was written for them. And they said, will you record that and send that to us? So just know your church singing. I hope it was good around Lori because she was recording it. So if you're singing, sitting around her, uh, you may get a, a solo uh, that's being sent to Ukraine. Um, but they were interested in hearing, and, the, and they've, they have told me multiple times, do people really know what's happening? Do they remember us? And they're shocked when I tell them the number of people that are praying for them, that are loving them from afar, that are lifting them up in prayer. Every time I've told them that, they were shocked. So let me explain, on the country of Ukraine, you've probably seen a map by now of the country. And it's going to be back. So if Russia's over on this side of the border, I was on the border with Hungary. In fact, I was only about 10 or 15 minutes from the border into Hungary. And I worked with a small group of people um, through a uh, local organization and through Hungarian Baptist Aid to work with the internally displaced persons. Now, internally displaced persons are those who aren't, they are, in a sense, a refugee. They have left their home, but they've remained in the same country. IDPs is what they're called. And IDPs, I just talked to somebody who was an IDP from Vietnam uh, at another church I spoke at, and she said to me, I never knew what IDP stood for. I just knew we had to wear placards around our neck that said IDP or T-shirts that said IDP when we came into the country. And, um, and she, what did she tell me it meant? It meant I, uh, I, something about not being important people. Her whole life, she thought that's what that meant. Think about the signs we put on people sometimes, thinking we're helping by identifying them so people know to be more compassionate, to be more loving. And what, in fact, happens is there's a misunderstanding or an unknown, what do these letters mean? And uh, they make them up on their own. And she said, my whole life I was raised believing I was this person that didn't matter because they'd, they had put that sign on me. She said, thank you for telling me what IDP stood for. So these verses today talk to us about our actions. And um, I will refer back to them as, we, as the morning goes on because um, we are here for three hours, so you'll hear it a few times. Um, but I wanted to start out by sharing uh, a quote by Henry Nguyen. He says this about compassion. Compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into the places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. When I read that, I put that in a note, in a notebook 
years ago, the first time I read that. That's how I want to live. You know, we, we oftentimes think we have to be so strong and we, we ha you know, especially in the moments of, uh, of trying to share with people, help people, we have to be strong, but sometimes weeping with those who are weeping and sharing in the weakness of those who feel weak is the best way to minister and the best way to come alongside and the best way to show compassion. One of the first things that I noticed when I was in um, Ukraine the first time in December of last year was what I can only term, a, term as innate compassion. Everywhere I looked, every person I turned to had this level of compassion I had never seen anywhere else in the world. I would see little pockets of compassion, a few people who were helping each other, but the majority of the population was sort of doing their own thing. Seems like that here a lot of times in the U.S. But when I went to Ukraine, I, I remember thinking, man, they have been fighting. They have been fighting and serving and helping long, long days, 12, 14, 15, 18-hour days, seven days a week. Every day they're serving. With, and the organization I was working with were doing medical care without any medical staff because they'd all fled or they were all on the front lines. So they had no nurse, no doctor. They had teams coming in once a month to help out. And they were trying to provide care for more than 20 different shelters in western Ukraine. And that was just one single organization. There were many more shelters and many more people who needed help. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to get there, and one of the first things I want to do is help relieve their burden because they must be exhausted. Because we heard, hear about it, compassion fatigue, right? You help so much that you, it exhausts you. So I approached the first person that I was able to have this conversation with, and I said, so, you know, tell me, Tanya, how, is, how are you feeling? Are you, like, tired? Are you? She said, yeah, physically we're tired. And I said, kind of compassion fatigue hitting you? And she said, what do you mean? And I said, you know, like you're kind of tired of helping. Or is, this, is, it, is it happening in this part of Ukraine where you, the people who live here, who lived here before all the IDPs showed up are saying, man, those IDPs, they get stuff we don't get. They're getting food. They're getting money. They're getting stipends. They're getting help that we don't have. Man, that's not fair. And I, man, I'm tired of giving. I just keep giving and they still need more. And she looked at me and she said, what are you talking about? And I thought, no, no, maybe I didn't explain it right. So let me tell you again what compassion fatigue is, because everywhere else in the world has this. And I started, and she looked at me and she goes, why would we ever stop having compassion? And why do we ever stop helping? She said, I see people who have a need, and I have something I can give. Why wouldn't I? And I looked at her and said, because the rest of the world would do it that way. You're unique. And every person, I asked more than one person this question about compassion fatigue, and over and over again, every single person just said, there are people hurting. We have the ability to reduce that hurt. Why wouldn't we? And I said, can you please come to the U.S. with me? 
Can I carry you with me everywhere I go? Can you share this level of compassion that just is bursting out of you? It's not dependent on their physical health, their physical uh, ability to keep going. It is totally and completely such a part of the core being of who these folks are. They cannot imagine doing anything else but help. And isn't that what our wor the words we read today talk about? So I mentioned Tanya, and I want to share a little bit about Tony and Tanya. Tony and Tanya are a couple who were uh, supported uh, church planters long before the invasion last year. In fact, back in 2018, I think. I had no idea that my mission had supported them as church planters through the European Baptist Federation. So I get over there, and I meet Tony and Tanya, and they talk about having this Roma church that they're ministering at. They helped start a Roma church in their small farming community. For Roma, does everybody know what, who Roma are? Okay, it's the more, okay, so Roma are what other people would call gypsies, but Roma is the more politically correct, kinder way, because gypsy has such a negative uh, connotation, so many parts of the world. So it's the Roma people. And nobody wants to work with the Roma. I mean, the Roma are the worst of the worst. Every Roma's a lying thief, and every Roma's taking advantage of everybody, and every Roma, you just don't want to go near them. They're dirty, and they don't have the same morals that we have, and you just stay away. Now, that's the perception in most of Europe. Romas are the lowest of the low. They have their own communities. They have their own government within those communities. And nobody wants to go near them. The Roma were persecuted during World War II as well and put in many of the concentration camps. But Tony and Tanya felt calling to serve and to open a church in their own hometown to serve the Roma. Now imagine this, this is a town you grew up in, you're now in your 30s, people have known you forever, they know you're a pastor and a pastor's wife, but uh, you know, what are you thinking about? These are Roma. And they said, well, we felt called to do this. So they lived in the building, in the one-story building where they were gonna hold church. They lived in one room and held church in another. They cleaned up their things and their bedding and everything, put it in a corner during church. First couple Sundays, one or two people came. Month after month, just a handful of people. And then all of a sudden, the right person came and began sharing about what this church would offer and the love that was offered there and the compassion that was offered there and how kind and sweet Tony and Tanya were, you needed to come see. And now their church, I visited just a few months ago, there aren't enough seats for everybody showing up in this building, and they've had to build a second story where now Tony and Tanya live above the church. Well, you would think that's a big enough job for them with the Roma church, but in fact, they're the leaders, they're two of the leaders with this ministry that I worked with in Ukraine. So not only do they manage the church and all of the needs of the church, including emergency room visits after hours, because they're the only ones with a vehicle, but they're helping with the food distribution and the translation and the driving of supplies to all of these different shelters. 
Tanya runs that office. I tell you what, you need a good office manager. I got a name for you, Tanya. You need to call her if you need some help in your office. That office would fall apart. That ministry would fall apart without her. And she does it with a smile and laughter every day. But they're not well themselves. Tony has problems with both his liver and his kidneys. His legs are often very swollen. He's not a heavy set man, but his legs will. I looked down one day during our medical clinic and I noticed his, his skin was coming out and over the top of his shoes because his kidneys weren't working well. And I said, Tony, what can I do? How can we help? No, no, it's no big deal. Everybody else has got problems worse than mine. He's been hospitalized multiple times in different countries to try and regulate this and get it taken care of. And he still can't get it help, be healthy. There are days he can't always come to work, but he tries every single day. And he'll drive hours to deliver supplies, and he'll come home and he can barely walk because his legs are so swollen. And Tanya, not much better. In fact, when I left Tanya back in May, she was jaundiced. And coming off of two months of chronic bronchitis. And she went to work every day. And she went to the hospital with the Roma Church almost every night, especially when they had a chickenpox outbreak. Tony and Tanya, when you read the words of that processional, think about Tony and Tanya and what that means to them and the level of compassion that they had. Again, in Philippians 2, 3, it says, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. So why can't we live this way? Why is it so difficult for us to live that way? We know the word, we see the word, we believe the word, but we don't live it out, or at least not as often as we could. I believe there are a couple of reasons why it's so difficult for us and why it's so hard to live humbly and in service to everyone around us and not just a select few. These three reasons, and this is Christie's opinion, you can take it or leave it. We are taught to be selfish as children and not humble in thinking of others very often. I grew up as a basketball player. I know it's hard to imagine at 6'1 that I might have played basketball, but I did. And I was taught very early on, do what you can to advance yourself, right? Play harder, you'll get the scholarship. Take out that person, you need to get the ball. Everything I learned just around basketball alone was what could I do for myself to make myself stand out better, to get more points, to do more for me, yeah? And in school, get the better grade, get the higher score, get the scholarship, do this for you. Doesn't matter what anybody else is doing, make sure you do the best for you. There's nothing wrong with doing the best. But if it means taking out everybody else around you so you get there, I have a bit of a problem with that. But we teach our kids that sometimes. Just do better and, and make sure you win, because it's important to win. My sister is incredibly competitive and cannot understand why I am not so competitive. I used to have a coach that would tell me, Christy, what do I need to feed you to make you get you know, angry during the game? because I was helping other teams' players off the floor when they tripped and fell. And he's like, leave them and get down the court. Well, no, they hurt themselves. I need to help out and get down the court. Second reason 
is that we choose to ignore the pain around us because it's just easier. Isn't it a lot easier to just put on the blinders and not see all the pain around you? How many times have you walked by a homeless person and just not made eye contact, not shared even a smile? You're afraid what they might do, what they might ask you. They might engage in conversation. Whoa. Not acknowledging the pain around us doesn't make it go away, but it does make it easier for us to just pretend it's not there and just move on. And the third reason that I think we don't live the way that I saw this innate compassion in the Ukrainians is that we're afraid that giving so much to others will mean we won't have enough. Because, man, if I give everything, like, where, how, if I give all my money, then where am I going to have money to do my thing? Or what about if I don't have enough money to buy this, you know, special meal that I want or go out, I'm, I might have to give up my coffee in the morning. So it turn, we become very centered on ourselves and, and how the, we can do everything we do around us to benefit ourselves alone. Opposite of compassion. And God tells us to live differently. When I was writing this sermon or this message, I, I just went through and I, the Bible and I started saying, where, where can I find compassion? Where is it written about compassion and serving others in the Bible? And within five minutes, I had such a long list. And I'm just going to read you a few of those verses. Psalm 133, 1 says, How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. Isaiah 1:17, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. Micah 6, 8, Know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Mark 16, 15, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Not to some, to everyone. 1 Peter 4, 10, God has given each of you a gift with his, from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another doesn't say use them so that you have a better life. Use the gifts given by God. Trust that God is taking care of you. Just like we tell people so many times, I hear this on mission trips, just know God has you in his hand. He's taking care of you. We tell that to other people, and then how do we live our lives except that we rely on ourselves to take care of our needs? We want the world to trust God. But are we trusting God to give us enough not to have compassion fatigue, but to have it just bubble out of us every minute of every day, no matter where we are, no matter what our circumstances are? God continues to speak to us through these scriptures and more, but we have to listen and we have to act on what we hear. It's not just for other people. And there are many things that we can't control, but we can control our response to God and what God is showing us to do. That's on us. One of the saddest things, one of the hardest things that I saw in Ukraine while I was there was when I went to an orphanage. 
and there are several orphanages. If you think about it, all these orphanages that were on eastern side of Ukraine have all had to be completely uprooted and moved to the western part of the country. So not only were these children put in these orphanages, not just because maybe parents had died, there may have been a life parent, there may have been somebody there, but there was nobody able to care for them. Addiction or just abuse, these children were taken from their families and now they were moved across the country in the midst of a war and anxiety was rampant in these orphanages. One of the orphanages I visited in December I saw again back in May, but in December they had no light, no running water, no electricity for 16 days when we showed up. They had had zero medical care the entire time, so from March until December, until our team showed up, they had not had any care. And they were refusing to have teams come in and see the children because one time they let an aid agency come in and visit the children and they stole three of them. And they were terrified that more children were going to be stolen by people who said they were there to help. So they refused all help which meant they had no electricity. And in December of last year, let me tell you, it was cold. No heat, no running water, meant no baths, no flushing toilets for 16 days in an orphanage full of 90-some people. The children who needed diapers were allowed one diaper every 24 hours. Now, I don't personally have any kids. I've taken care of a lot, and I know that one diaper is not enough for 24 hours. If that diaper wasn't soiled the next day, they had to keep it on another day. So when we showed up, Pastor Chaba, who runs the mission there, Pastor Chaba said, um, stay in the car. I'm trying to negotiate them letting you come in and help their children. So we stayed in one van. The other van had food and supplies and diapers. It had a generator. They could have electricity for the first time in almost three weeks. And very quickly, when the leader of the, or the head of the um, orphanage saw that we were there for good, he came back to us and he said, she's agreed. She said, yes, get in there now before she changes her mind. And we worked in gloves and hats with headlamps because we, they didn't hook up the generator yet had to have fuel for the generator. And so somebody had to go get that. And while we were doing all of that, we were in the cold in our, I, I remember I had a down jacket um, and I was still freezing. My nose was bright red and dripping because it was so cold and I had my headlamp on and I was trying to run the pharmacy and get medicines out to 90 different kids and, and the leaders there. When I was able to go back, in May, they had electricity. Electricity, the grid had been reestablished in most of Ukraine by then, although the expectation I just found out this week is that it will be destroyed again for winter time, purposefully, to make winter very difficult for the Ukrainians. When I went back in May, I was sitting in front of a young boy, about 14 years old, and he just looked sad, which I could understand. And he would answer all my questions, didn't avoid questions, but he just looked sad and done. 
And my translator, Jenny, said to me, Christy, look at his arms. He had a short sleeve shirt on. Happened to be one of the warmer days, but they had also had a chicken pox outbreak, so we were all meeting outside to do our clinic. And I looked over, and I saw cut marks on his arm. Now, I don't know how many people know about this, but a trend in many young people is to cut yourself, to try and gain control of your life in some way when everything else seems out of control. You take a razor blade or something sharp and you make cut marks because you can feel that, you can control that. And that gives children a sense or young adults a sense of controlling something in their very chaotic world. And I just thought, I've got to ask him about this because he wasn't the first we'd seen. In many of the shelters, the young people, I would say, between the ages of 12 and 25 were cutting themselves. So I asked him, I said, tell me about your arms. And he held it out and he says, oh, this? I said, yeah. I said, what, what were you doing? He says, eh, nothing, just trying something. And I said, were you doing it to try and relieve your stress? Yeah, somebody told me it would work. I said, did it? No, nothing seems to work. And he just sat there so defeated, it just broke my heart. To th and I, so I asked him his story. He had two younger siblings that were also there. I think he said something like eight and ten. Parents had died in the war early on. Their village or their house had been bombed. And he was now the leader of the family at 14. He was in charge of taking care of his younger brother and sister. That was his job now at 14. And the world felt pretty chaotic to him. How do you take care of two siblings in an orphanage in a country at war? How is that even possible? And he was overwhelmed and looking for any escape. So how will you respond to what you've heard today? To the words that we've read? To the stories, the people that I've told you about? My challenge to you is to not ignore the need, but to see instead what is happening around you and act as God has called us each to act. Once again, let's listen to the words of 1 John 3.18. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. How will you choose to show love and compassion today? Let's pray. Dear Lord, just ask you today to open our hearts to the needs around us, to the hurt around us. Lord, help us to show a compassion that is unending because we recognize that this compassion comes from you and through us to others. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears to the need and to the hurt. Help us to encourage those who need encouraging, to hold those who need holding, to love on those who need to be shown love today. Thank you.